1: Welcome, everyone, to episode 23 of the Rust Belt Rundown. I am your host, Paul O'Connor. And on this episode, we are joined by Matthew Fieldman, Executive Director of America Works. Uh, America Works is a nationwide initiative to coordinate manufacturing workforce development efforts in the Manufacturing Extension Partnership National Network, which we are going to get to later. But Matthew, first, happy Friday. Thank you so much for being on.
0: Happy Friday. Thanks very much for having me
1: um all right so first of all go gators uh tell us how you ended up in gainesville and what made you want to study psychology during your undergraduate years
0: yeah um so i grew up in orlando florida uh and um like clevelanders go to ohio state orlando kids go to university of florida um and so it was the great state school uh had a great time there um, I thought I was gonna be a social worker when I started college. I had um, gotten a chance to shadow some social workers and just loved what they did, loved the impact they had on people's lives and wanted to study psychology. It was the most interesting subject. And um, uh, once I graduated and got a chance to actually experience social work, I realized it was not for me. I, I did not want to pursue that. But um, uh, at the time, psychology is super interesting. and it absolutely influences what i do every day Um, having that background has been very helpful
1: i got a feeling florida state fans would disagree with you in terms of this is where everyone goes i mean florida florida and ohio are actually pretty similar where there's a million options right but i would i would agree that i would say overall like when you think uh i mean ohio is easy like it's ohio state you know with cincinnati being like a distant second but then there's the Kent's and the Akron's and the OUs, where Florida's like, all right, it's Florida for sure.
0: Uh-huh. I didn't and want to Florida say Florida State, state is. Florida what State's our distant Miami? second.
1: What about Miami?
0: Miami's not a state school. They're a private school, so oh, they're expensive. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so they're a great school, but but expensive. You know, uh, I don't even know what tuition is there these days. But at the time, even at the time, it was twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars a year. But for us, Florida State is a different. Is a distant second, and uh, um, you know, I don't want to say it, but I will. The smart kids go to UF. <laughs>
1: I love it. I love it. There's nothing. I love trash talking uh, colleges. I think it's very fun. Um, Sorry,
0: Seminoles. Don't hate me. (laughs) Uh,
1: Well, okay. Let's stay on the education track. So you ended up continuing, um, you know, your education throughout different stages during your career. Uh, One, including an MBA from George Washington and a certificate in nonprofit management from Case Western. Um, What prompted you to get those additional degrees? Was it something where, the current job you were holding asked you or you saw where things were going? Like what what prompted that?
0: Yeah, I saw where things were going. I um, fell into the nonprofit world, started doing fundraising, um, decided I really liked it and uh, saw that the people above me, the bosses and the the people I aspired to be at early in my career had MBAs. And um, I had the opportunity as well to work during the day and take my MBA at night at GW. And it just worked perfectly for a young single guy in DC to Work during the day, take the metro down, take classes. Um, I was dating my wife now uh, at the time. So I just had, uh, it just worked really well logistically. And I really enjoyed um, how. I could learn at night and apply those learnings during the day in my job, and so that worked out really well. What I did not walk away with at the time was a network. Um, and so some people go to MBA school full time and walk away with a really great network that they can tap into. I was really in it for the three letters MBA. I wanted them behind my name, um, and sure enough, afterwards, you know, I was started making significantly more money, um, and you know, certainly have had lots of doors open to me because of that graduate degree. Uh, then when I moved to Cleveland, I wanted to continue diving deep into the nonprofit world I saw that uh, Case Western had a certificate in nonprofit management which was only five classes and uh, I thought wow I can pick the five classes I want to you know dive deep into I uh, spent a lot of time on finance and other the history of nonprofits I thought was super interesting so I, I took the five classes and I got the certificate and again it's been very enriching and I think you know we all have to be lifelong learners as we as we transition and start talking about manufacturing, the robots, the computers—they're coming for all of our jobs. Someday, podcasts will be hosted by computers, talking to people. Um, someday, you know, uh, uh, robots will write grants and do other things. So we all have to stay one step ahead. And so I think advancing your education, trying to figure out where the to skate where the puck is going, is really important uh, for everyone in any occupation.
1: Um, what is your opinion on the current state, twenty twenty one status and ROI of an MBA? And would you recommend it to someone? Everyone is different. Everyone's at different stages of their career. But just overall, sure. high level, would you recommend someone getting an MBA right now?
0: You know, it's tough to say. Again, it's it's very very uh, uh, case by case basis. But what I would say is, um, if you can work while you learn, that's usually the best situation. Um, The ability to build keep building your resume to keep building your skills to apply what you're learning at night in in your uh, day job those I think are really valuable Um, taking two years out of the workforce to learn. uh, You know it's a it's a good thing for some people, but uh, I think for me, it was really helpful to be able to do both simultaneously and, and not have you know that work gap on my resume.
1: And so, when you said you left GW without necessarily the network that you had wanted, what what were the factors that contributed to that?
0: Oh yeah, when you're taking classes from six to eight p.m. after a long day of work, you don't really want to hang out, uh, you know, afterwards. And there were it was it was again that that crowd tends to be older, and they have families and they have jobs tomorrow and that sort of thing. So there's there wasn't a lot of opportunity to socialize after classes. Um, and even when there was, I wasn't always interested. There were nights, um, certain semesters where I took class from 6 to 10 PM. Um, so, cause I was trying to get two classes in uh, that semester. And so, you know, you're just exhausted after a long day. So, um, you know, I, I met a few people. I thought it was really interesting. You know, obviously GW has a really international student base. So it was fascinating to, you know, meet some people from all over the world. Um, I found myself doing a lot of the editing because while everybody was amazing and, and, and cool people, not everybody spoke English as a first language. So I found, found myself, you know, uh, quickly kind of signing up to be the editor of other people's research and, and um, really discovered that I loved writing. And I loved putting together the research into a coherent story uh, that uh, a professor would enjoy reading and so um, you know definitely I, I got a chance to brush up on that skill set, um, but again, the MBA, um, you know, obviously it's been almost 20 years now so so the, the, the degree has changed a lot. I just think there's a lot more specialization these days in, in master's programs. So if you know what you wanna do, definitely look for to specialize. The MBA is a great all-purpose degree because I didn't know whether I was gonna stay in nonprofits or move into business. And in fact, I've done both since then, and it's been helpful. Um, but if you know you wanna stay in a certain career, there's now a master's in philanthropy, there's a master's in organizational behavior. So you can really go after exactly what you want these days.
1: Yeah, good transition. So you've generally worked in nonprofit settings, save for a short stint with Fathom. Tell us about your experience in nonprofits and how that has helped you in your current role at America Works.
0: Yeah, um, I had a really cool, uh, diverse background of of different nonprofits. I started in the Jewish community. I worked in international humanitarian aid. When uh, the opportunity to work in economic development came up, I jumped at it back in 2015 to join Magnet. and so I spent about 20 years doing fundraising in different capacities and loved that it's the perfect mix of business and psychology. Um, so there's there's the the MBA plus the psychology degree. You have to sell, you have to hit your numbers, but at the same time, you have to understand people. Um, sometimes you have to understand organizations and foundations and how, how they work. And so I, I've really enjoyed um, raising money. Uh, back in 2020, I saw the need for more coordination around the nation's advanced manufacturing training efforts. So right now, advanced manufacturing training happens at workforce development boards, it happens at community colleges, uh, manufacturing extension partnerships like Magnet, where I work, uh, Catalyst Connection, who you've interviewed in the past. We're all doing our own training um, and it looks different in every community, But there's tremendous opportunity to share best practices, to share lessons learned, to even just share curricula and marketing materials Um, with with such limited resources in the nonprofit space and, and the education space, we don't have time to spend, you know, developing things, recreating the wheel. Um, And so I applied for a grant from NIST MEP to create America Works, which is the connective tissue for all 50 states in Puerto Rico to offer and share their best practices to learn from each other to deepen their local impact uh, on workforce, um, and to generally connect and create a sense of community because we're all in this together, you know, training youth in many ways is training youth no matter where you are in the country. doing industry 4.0 supervisor training, you know, teaching uh, C-level executives what the nine industry 4.0 technologies are and how to best use them. Again, that's pretty applicable anywhere you are in the country. And so I'm excited to kind of create that foundation that uh, allows workforce practitioners to be more effective. When they're going into a, a company, whether it's in, in Hawaii or Alaska or Texas or wherever, they should have all the tools, all the latest knowledge, all the latest skills. And so that's what I'm trying to provide through America Works. is, uh, hey, look at this great program from Pennsylvania. Uh, that, that's working really well. Um, here's South Dakota's Industry 4.0 training program. It's the best in the country. Why don't you take that with you? So give, give someone all the tools they, um, they need to be as effective as possible when they're talking to a company's leadership
1: okay so you've worked you started working at magnet almost seven years ago um two-part question want to learn a little bit about your roles because they've changed um in the last seven years and then the flyover of how does america works work right like how is it developed within the magnet ecosystem
0: that's great so uh i started uh, in january of 2015 at magnet as the vice president of external affairs, and that at the time was a huge portfolio, it was marketing and events and media relations and government relations and fundraising, it was a little bit too much for one person. Um, So we were able to hire a staff and bring some people on board and I naturally gravitated towards what what I was good at which was fundraising and so eventually uh, we broke the marketing piece out. Um, and let me do the fundraising. And I also picked up some really fun individual kind of initiatives that um, where I had an idea and kind of recruited a team and we did some some really cool things. So uh, the M Spire competition uh, was based on something I saw out of Detroit, where entrepreneurs pitch their ideas um, and get, everyone wins, everyone gets matched with either good advice or a grant or, or assistance. So we started the m competition, which is still in, in effect till today. Um, we started a statewide manufacturing survey, uh, which uh, again, has been very, very helpful towards guiding the state's uh, economic development efforts as it relates to manufacturing. And then I was able to, to raise a lot of money for Magnet and help grow our team and grow our impact here in Northeast Ohio. We covered the uh, 20 counties of Northeast Ohio. Um, And so uh, as my role grew and developed, as I mentioned, I saw this need for the workforce piece. Um, I went to our CEO, Ethan Karp, um, and said, look, if we get this grant, can I do this work? Can I transition out of fundraising for a a few years um, and see about doing this workforce, focusing deep in workforce? And he said, yeah, go for it. Um, Actually, one of the uh, really interesting seeds for this was when I walked in in January 2015, on my desk was a white paper. On how to create, how to adapt the German apprenticeship model to the Northeast Ohio educational ecosystem. So, how do you take the best of what Germany is offering in youth apprenticeships and bring it to Cleveland? And so, I went to some friends in uh, in this education space and got some opinions. And we went to some CEOs and got their buy in. And we went to some high schools and got their buy in. And I went to NIST MEP and said, hey, someone must have done this previously because we're again we're recreating the wheel, there must be more there must be someone out there who's doing youth apprenticeships and the powers that be at MEP said basically we don't know who's doing what in this space, and it definitely planted the seed of. uh, Why don't we have more connective tissue going on and and more best practices and and even a database around uh, who's doing what in workforce across the nation so um. That is how my role evolved. I've been doing America Works for about a year. Um, and like I said, it's a grant to magnet to, to create this program uh, for the national network. And that the program is seven different things, uh, which is, which is I think, really cool. So it started with that national survey. Who's doing what currently? And wh- where do MEPs want to go with their workforce efforts? Do they want to get into training reentry? Do they want to do more uh, with people with special needs? Do they want to do more around this industry 4.0? So really getting all the data out of the MEPs for each state and region in our country. Then I turned that into a searchable database on MEP University. It's this really cool interactive database where you can click on the population and see who's doing doing what and and who's willing to share the best practices in that area. So uh, it's basically Google for workforce in the MEP system. You click, you get the person's contact info, you can reach out and say, hey, we're thinking about doing the, the same thing. Can you tell me about what you did? And basically save me time and effort and making mistakes in that area then we do bi-monthly best practice webinars everything on leadership to partnering with uh, different organizations to how do you fundraise better just all the different best practices that are out there in our network Um, we uh, have a lot in terms of uh, annual conferences and getting getting people together we also have discussion nodes where it's not a formal presentation it's just people interested in a specific topic coming together and talking about it so for example, adult apprenticeships is a big area. Uh, there's a lot of money going into it. There's a lot of MEPs that are very active in it. So getting everyone together and saying, you know, where are you and what do you want to what do you want to share? Where do you want to go? Just allowing uh, uh, MEP professionals from around the country to, to connect and share together. Um, one of my favorite parts is the external partner outreach. So talking to other organizations that play in the manufacturing training space and manufacturing workforce development space, and saying, what is your expertise? How can we partner? How can we inject your expertise into the MEP network so we can have the maximum impact? And that's been very uh, fun and interesting and effective. Everything from technology companies bringing their technologies to nonprofits that uh, provide training, um, you name it, uh, they're out there. um, For example, we we created a partnership with Women in Manufacturing, a national nonprofit that supports and engages women in manufacturing careers. And this was just an important thing that um, uh, is really critical to the diversity equity and inclusion efforts of manufacturing nationally and then finally I have micro grants to help fund and support innovative workforce strategies so an MEP can come can come to me and say hey we have this great new partnership we just need some some basic funding to get it off the ground we really want to try it um, and I can give up to ten thousand dollars to an MEP to help launch something new and really the the point is to create new and scalable and replicable strategies that could impact the country. So right now we've got uh, pilots going for training people with special needs for CNC jobs, um, training uh, formerly incarcerated people for uh, entry level manufacturing jobs, using virtual reality to inspire high school students to uh, pursue manufacturing careers. And just a wide variety of different things going on. So uh, that's that's maybe the most exciting piece is the ability to say we can take an idea uh, and turn it into a real program on the ground.
1: Ooh, okay. So a lot to break down. I think the the thing that stayed with me the most is seeing that there was a lack of, and you said connective tissue, right? And trying to create a platform where people can come and find out best practices, right? I could imagine that nonprofits overall probably need that help anyway, no matter what they're working on, right? Like, yes, in the manufacturing space, but this could be in the youth development space, in the housing space, whatever. Um, I wonder if that exists, number one, and number two, if they could take what you did and replicate it across all industries.
0: It, It certainly does in certain industries and certain areas, Um, Community colleges have their own networks, universities have their own networks. so there's a lot of there's a lot of connective tissue I just saw the the vacuum within the MEP system. But I do think that manufacturing is really lucky and privileged to have a federally sponsored uh, organization like the MEP network devoted to growing that particular industry, and I wonder if technology had something similar. If um, the culinary industry and restaurants had something similar, hospitality, uh, as far as I know, they don't. The, actually, the MEP is based on the agricultural extension partnership, which was around uh, long before MEPs came around. But the idea of supporting farmers uh, was was became a federal uh, program, and obviously that's been very successful. So the MEP was kind of based on it, um, but other industries have not yet had that kind of direct support, especially for the small and medium-sized companies in that industry, where a lot of the jobs are and a lot of the growth is. Um, And so, you know, manufacturing is very lucky to be in this space, and I'm very lucky to work in it.
1: So you have served on the board of Edwins, including being the founding board president. How did you get to know Brandon and become involved in his mission, which, you know, he's been on the podcast and he's just doing amazing work?
0: Brandon is absolutely amazing. And uh, my friendship with him and the roller coaster that has been Edwin's uh, is has been amazing. So I met Brandon on a football field in the summer of 2010. We were on the same football team and I just knew him as this lanky guy who could catch a pass. That was uh, that was all I knew about him. And his name was Brandon. Um, but then I bumped into him at La Albatross, where he was working and we started talking and I said, you know, I um, I'm a fundraiser in nonprofits, and he shared with me his dream of creating a restaurant for formerly incarcerated people to learn careers in fine dining. And it's, as he will share anytime, uh, his um, you know he was formerly incarcerated. A restaurant saved his life, uh, gave him a, a fresh start. And um, he wanted to offer that same opportunity to others. And I thought that was a great idea. I love the idea of social enterprise where fundraising and earned revenue go hand in hand and you create a business that does good. And I just love the idea. So um, we started a board. I became the founding board president. We raised about $400,000 over a six month period in 2013. And we opened in November of 2013. I served as the board president until my third child was born in July of 2016. At that point, I was like, I have a lot on my plate. Um, let's hand this off. But I've served on the board ever since and um, have very much enjoyed the growth of the organization. Uh, it's now multiple businesses, multiple housing opportunities for people. And it was my first uh, real deep dive into what is a successful social enterprise look like And I got really inspired and I wanted to do more. And so um, it's definitely uh, helped shape how I see the nonprofit industry and where things can go. Um, And the potential for creating social enterprises is tremendous.
1: So yeah, I mean, perfect transition into another organization that you founded. So back in 2015, um, you found an organization called Cleveland Codes, which is devoted to teaching low-income adults software development and tools. So how did this come about? What was the motivation to starting it?
0: Absolutely. So at the time between 2012 and 2014, I was working at Fathom, which is a digital marketing company. And my clients were businesses of all sizes where we were doing pay-per-click and search engine optimization and email marketing. We did all sorts of digital marketing for our clients. But I kept losing business because my clients would come to me and say, "We, we love what you're doing. Can you build our website? And I would have to say no. And I went to our HR person and said, can't we hire some more coders so that we can build websites because there's a lot of potential business out there for this. And she said, no, there are no coders in Cleveland. There are not enough. And the ones that are out there are um, charging enormous salaries and we just can't do it. And I thought to myself, I've seen how you can train low income adults for high skill, high wage careers from Edwin's. And I thought I had seen the growth of the coding bootcamp movement uh, nationally. And said, you know, this is great. These three-month, four-month boot camps are doing really amazing work, but they run fifteen 000 to twenty thousand dollars per person for this three-month education, which is obviously only accessible to people with money. And I thought, well, what if we could train people using that same boot camp method, but either the companies would pay it back, or uh, maybe the government would pay for it. Who, who, someone would pay for this training? And then obviously we can make these careers more accessible and probably find some great talent out there and that's exactly what happened so i shopped the idea around found some partners and i always like to start with the end in mind so the end was always that uh, i would find a educational partner to teach this because i'm not a coder and the idea was let's find let's figure out who's going to own this and how can we create a boot camp here in cleveland for low-income adults to learn careers in technology And sure enough, that partner was out there. Uh, She was at Cuyahoga Community College. Uh, Monique Humphrey was thinking about the same thing, but didn't have a lot of connections. I brought the connections and kind of the vision and together we partnered and created it. So um, it started in early 2016 with our first class. We've trained now uh, over 200 people um, with a a 50, 60% placement rate in high-tech careers. Um, And so the it, this is working out really well you're seeing people go from seven dollars an hour to twenty dollars an hour as a coder i mean just launching new and successful careers in technology and uh sure enough i think this this um model works really well for workforce development and it's certainly inspired me but it's basically three things go into a successful workforce development program you need uh job openings uh in a high high wage career You have to help people have a vision for themselves. It's easy in culinary because people know what chefs look like and what chefs do. It's it's a little harder in coding because you don't really, you don't usually see coders, but you can take people to site visits and and get them excited. Even harder in manufacturing, where people just don't know what a CNC machinist is. They don't know what an industrial maintenance technician does. So um, but if you can get them that vision of themselves in that career and get them excited about that, then you can give them the skills, which is Frankly, in some cases, the easiest part because, uh, you know, you just teach until they get it um, and some people really have a knack for it. And then finally, you have to give them support along the way. You have to take care of the needs that they have outside of uh, the um, educational curriculum. So it's really interesting. Uh, the first thing we learned at Edwin's was uh, our students were having a really tough time getting to and from the, um, the restaurant. They were not showing up. And no-shows were very expensive because if someone didn't show, we'd have to pay someone hourly to fill that spot. And we quickly realized that there was a business case to be made for hiring a case manager. Um, And so that's exactly what we did. Someone to come in and say basically to every employee, what challenges are you facing outside of Edwin's? And let me help you deal with those. Whether that's childcare or transportation or alimony or whatever it might be, let's let's figure it out and let's address it together. And um, our Heather has been amazing in terms of student retention uh, at Edwin's, and um, we did that at Cleveland Codes, and we do that in Magnet programs as well. But right off the bat, you have to you have to very quickly identify what challenges the person has and help them address it. Um, And then because of that support, because of those skills, because the person's bought in and sees themselves as a coder or CNC operator or whatever it is, uh, you can create a really great recipe for success in these training programs.
1: Now, do they have to have any background in coding or they can just be fresh, wanna learn?
0: None whatsoever. They do have to pass an, um, an aptitude test. And that is simply to make sure that they uh, have the right kind of mindset. And this is really important because um, if you're really gregarious, if you're really extroverted, uh, chances are a coding career is going to be tougher for you. And so we, we do an aptitude test to get a sense of um, how do you think, can you think in a linear fashion, can you do some basic math problems, those sort of things. So not everybody passes the aptitude test. And that's good, They'll, they can go find careers in other things. But the ones who do, often you know they they think in the right way they have the right building blocks for a really strong career in technology and so that that aptitude test does a really good job of putting people on the right path and letting them know whether this is the the right path for them or not
1: um okay so this past year and a half or so um has been a reckoning for a lot of people across the country um, within the social justice movements that we've seen right um, tell us about your your work with Rekindle, um, an organization that you co-founded and, and it brings Cleveland's Black and Jewish communities together, right, to help yeah. accelerate social justice movement. So how did that come about and, and kind of what is the uh, how does the program work?
0: That's great. So um, it, it came about because I was bothered by something I saw in Cleveland as I was um, doing this work. So. You know, growing up in Orlando, I grew up um, in a, a really nice tight-knit Jewish community, came to Cleveland, which is also incredibly um, supportive, just an amazing Jewish community, and uh, um, I've really loved it here. But what bothered me is when, I'm, when I was working on Edwin's, when I was working on Cleveland Codes, when I've been working here at Magnet, um, my Jewish friends don't know my Black friends. And in many cases, they're working on similar programs, but they're working in parallel. So I saw this during the elections with voter registration. I've seen this with criminal justice reform. I've seen all sorts of different efforts that are not where the two communities are not working together. And that's partly because geographically they're separated, partly because you know we're fighting against hundreds of years of, of oppression and, of, and segregation and whatnot. And so I thought it, this isn't gonna change unless we actively create a bridge between the two communities and actively create a platform for people to meet connect, understand each other, and ideally take action together. And that's really the the critical pieces. I wanted to create that dialogue, but I really wanted to lead to uh, partnerships and collaborations that didn't exist previously. So I was able to um, find through my wife, actually, uh, a wonderful uh, person named Charmaine Rice, um, and she is incredibly helpful. She's a trained DEI facilitator. And together we co-founded Uh, Rekindle, And so uh, the fellows um, half black, uh, usually Christian, half half white and Jewish come together and talk about where we share values, uh, where we share leadership skills are the the attributes of our community, the strengths of our communities, and how we can partner moving forward and so we graduate our first cohort back in June, our second cohort will graduate in November, and um, we'll do two more cohorts in uh, in 2022 then we'll reevaluate and see how it's going but we think that if we can get 50 60 people to go through this together and have this really transformative experience we can actually create a, a cohort of leaders that um, you know really does come together collaborates and really advances social justice here in cleveland and and ideally creates a national model that other communities could use as well um, and this is based on the idea the name rekindle comes from the idea that uh, in the 60s um, the Jewish community was very active in the civil rights movement, and you can point to a lot of different uh, leaders who who really sacrificed a lot and put themselves on the line to uh, advance the cause of civil rights. And that fight is not over. Um, so, you know, I think many uh, young white kids are taught that you know we, we've succeeded. Civil rights is here. It's 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 we, we've done our part. Um, as a as a Jewish young young adult, I was taught you know we. We did our part, and we're we're good. We can wash our hands and move on to the next thing, and that's really not true. And I'm I'm excited to, to you know reevaluate uh, where we are, um, and really rekindle those relationships that, that the Jewish community had with the Black community, and invest in them, and hopefully um, uh, hopefully they'll they'll develop real um, fruits uh, of our labor moving forward.
1: I mean you mentioned two things that are super important dialogue and then action. I mean dialogue's half the battle, right? Especially in a time where you know every, we we've never been more divided and people can't even have conversations about things that they disagree with. So that's super important and I guess my question would be with the action. Was it some like do you have specific things that you're like is it voting rights? Is it like what are the different action plans that you guys are working on?
0: So uh, as, as the convener, I don't have an opinion on what the fellows should do together. That's yeah. for them to decide. Part of what we do is we uh, talk about where our passions are and where our skill sets are. We do something called the working genius assessment, which is the newest thing from Pat Lencioni, if you like his um, Five Dysfunctions of a Team or um, the, uh, the Ideal Team Player. So many good uh, Pat Lencioni books. Right. Exactly. He's amazing. And um, so his latest thing is the working genius assessment, which I absolutely love. So all the fellows take it, and it allows them to create a team based on everyone's strengths. And so that's what we're working on it, creating uh, these action teams. And they'll tell me what their, where their passions are, and we'll match make based on that. So what we've seen actually is some social gatherings, because uh, people just want to create more social bonds. I'm hoping you know as well we take on um, bigger issues as well. But that's for them to decide. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to them telling me. and. Uh, and ideally, we can even connect uh, different cohorts together. And so uh, we're actually having a party in, in at my house in November, where the different, uh, the two different cohorts are going to come and mingle and hopefully good things will come out of it. So everyone's at the table because they know action is, uh, a- action is required. It's one of the commitments of being a fellow. And uh, I hope that they take it seriously and do, do good things as a result. Um, because like, you know, I, I've been really fortunate to be in a situation where I could be a part of starting Edwin's, be a part of starting Cleveland Coats. I'd like other people to be put in that situation. I think um, I can I can do that for, for others uh, to create a platform for them to launch their own ventures.
1: Love it, that's awesome. Um, all right, well, Matthew, this was great. We'll get you out of here on this one. Um, the, the running joke on this podcast is sometimes this is the hardest question we uh, actually answer, but uh, favorite dining spots in the greater Cleveland area can be sit down, can be takeout, can be a new COVID favorite, uh, whatever you want.
0: Oh, excellent! Well, when I'm not at Edwin's, and I gotta say, the uh, right in front of the fireplace at Edwin's is my favorite spot in Cleveland on a on a winter night with a glass of wine and a dessert and my wife, and we're we're very happy there. But um, on the West Side Root Cafe, whenever I can make it over there, I absolutely love it. Um, on the east side, really any of the Indian places uh, make me happy, um, and so the you name it i'm, I'm there and also melt uh, when I when I can work out and actually uh, justify eating a 2500 calorie meal. Uh, I love melt, and uh, it definitely you know just just drizzle cheese on something and i'm happy so that's my those are my spots.
1: I think that's the most of us, right? Drizzle cheese and we'll and we'll make it work. Um, where can everybody find you, learn more about you, whether it's LinkedIn or social or the website, all that good stuff?
0: All, all of that is good. Matthew Fieldman on LinkedIn, Fieldman at gmail.com if you wanna send me an email, rekindlefellowship.org if you wanna learn about Rekindle, clevelandcodes.org if you wanna learn about Cleveland Codes, edwinsrestaurant.org if you wanna learn about Edwin's, uh, manufacturingsuccess.org if you wanna learn about Magnet, um, America Works has uh, a page, it's actually uh, an intranet page, so it's tough to find. But any one of those will be really good. And, uh, you know, people should absolutely reach out to me, Um, let me know what you're interested in. And I, I love to offer advice and guidance and connections and whatever I can do to help.
1: Awesome. Well, Matt, thank you so much again, uh, for coming on the podcast. Enjoy lunch with Taylor and, uh, and the weekend and we'll talk with you soon.
0: Thank you, Paul. Much appreciated.
1: Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Rust Belt Rundown. Make sure you
0: check us out at rustbeltrecruiting.com. The Rust Belt Rundown is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and click on five stars
1: if you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.